It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. What up and welcome into another edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast. I'm James Erpine. It is great to be with you on a Wednesday. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic coming up in about 30 seconds on Twitter at James Erpine at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcasts. It's great to be with you. Bengals start preparing today for the Cleveland Browns as the coaches worked on the game plan yesterday. Today, Players return for practice, and uh, there's a lot to dive into. Let's uh, welcome in Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. He's on Twitter, at Joe Goodberry. He's on with us now. Joe, for the first time in quite some time, and obviously we do this weekly Bengals film review every single week. That was redundant, but it's true. Um, For the first time in quite some time, we're talking about a Bengals victory, and yet I think a lot of Bengals fans after the win were like, eh, I don't know if that was good or bad. But uh, the Bengals got a win. Um, what were just some initial general thoughts on what you saw on film when you went back and watched the Bengals in their first victory in two months? Well, the initial feeling after the game was very similar to what you said. I, I felt the same way of should this team win? Because very quickly, you know, as it went into the um, the following games, they were eliminated from playoff contention. So it made it official. So what was the win really worth? The Raiders, one of the worst teams in the league, looked like it on Sunday. Uh, the Bengals really did what they wanted to, and if they had a, any semblance of a passing game for most of that um, contest, it, it probably would have been a complete blowout. So I felt similar, like, eh, what was that? You know, and here we are probably losing Tyler Boyd at the same time. That was a run-of-the-mill, end-of-the-season Marvin Lewis victory that really doesn't mean much and really doesn't, I don't know if it gives hope towards following seasons. But, so you watch the film and you, you want to, you want to look at Jeff Driscoll and see if he's making progress, and you want to see, well, how did Sam Hubbard and, and Geno Atkins do? And I, I wrote about them. Hopefully that will be published today or tomorrow. Uh, and and the defense looked good. Again, for really the m- most part of maybe second half of the Browns game uh, and, and, and to the Raiders game, they've been pretty good in two weeks in a row now against the Chargers. And Raiders aren't great, but they've been decent and uh, on offense, and De- Derek Carr's been okay. Uh, and they held them to really nothing and really a couple drives here and there. And that was it. And they got a lot of pressure. Uh, you couldn't complete a pass on either Drake Kirkpatrick or William Jackson. I think that's what this defense is and what it, what we expected. So that was good to see. Um, on the other hand, Driscoll on offense was terrible. He, he was horrendous. This, this is the worst Bengals quarterback performance I've seen since that Thursday night football against the Browns where um, – Andy Dalton 20, had a, a two rating. What was 2014. That? Yeah, it was 2014. Yeah. I was at that game. He was the, the worst quarterback performance I've ever seen. Right. And <laughs> it was so bad. Next was this one. And and here we are in a win where they scored 30 points. But, man, there was just so many forced errors by Driscoll. And, the, and it wasn't that the Raiders were doing anything crazy. They played good coverage. They had they were holding a lot, and they were pressing a lot. And I'm talking they were 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 yards downfield and still grabbing John Ross and, and grabbing the other receivers. And it, I think it messed them up a little bit. But at the same time, the refs weren't throwing it. And the refs, and the Raiders weren't doing anything crazy, so they weren't switching coverages post-snap and pre-snap. 
Um, so I don't know what Driscoll was looking at, but he forced a lot of throws into coverage that really didn't have to be there while other guys had one-on-one shots uh, throughout the field. And, um, you know, you look at it, and that's not what we're used to from the Bengals. At 90% of the time, you can expect Andy Dalton to make the correct read and get it to the right guy, even if the offense is limited or, or even if he can be confused by a defense at, at times. Um, most of the time, you expect him to, to do the right thing. So this is a stark contrast watching Driscoll struggle through readings and, and and getting the ball to the right guy. And then losing Tyler Boyd really hurt, obviously, and it will. And it's it's probably going to continue for the final two weeks, and we'll see how, how that transitions. But for two weeks in a row, again, on offense, they're running the ball and able to run it and feeding Joe Mixon. And when they do that, um, it's nice and it's good and it's fun because <laughs> he is fun. And, he's and, you know, it's nice to see the good young players get the ball consistently in ways that they can succeed and let them carry this team. And, and so if we're not watching wins and losses, at least we're watching a young budding star that could probably carry this franchise for the next few years. And uh, that's cool. Yeah, no doubt about it. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Here's the thing that bothers me about that, Joe. And I don't like to be negative or or crush the Bengals all the time. I promise I don't. But the fact that it took over a year and a half, uh, multiple injuries, uh, two offensive coordinators, your quarterback going down, your best player going down, all of this stuff to happen to put a player like Joe Mixon in this position where he's getting 30 touches a game, 25 plus carries. And I know there's offensive line issues, but... To me, it's just it's crazy it took this long. This team, this organization was as high, including the coaching staff, as high on Mixon as any player. Uh, I, I think they would have taken him. Without the off the field, he might have been the ninth overall pick. They love. We, we made that Mixon. argument, remember? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so to me, it, it's just it boggles my mind that someone that they're all on board with, like coaching staff, front office, ev- for everywhere you look in that organization, they love Joe Mixon and think he has potential. And yet it's taken over 18 months to really put him in a position to succeed and give him the the reps that he deserves and that he's shown and that he's earned. And they're finally doing it. And it's just like, well, why the hell didn't you do this when things were going off the rails two months ago? Yeah. And it's funny because uh, there's a lot of games where we walk away and we or we come back and we say, they just didn't stick to the run and they just didn't feed Joe Mixon. And, and there were a lot of games we... We said this a lot when they were winning and they were struggling at some point in the game, whether it was the second, third, fourth quarter, and the passing game was uh, faltering or needed a spark. Next thing you know, Joe Mixon rides the carries this team on on a on a drive for a touchdown or or in the field position for a field goal, and um, we would say, "Man, you see that? Look how they lean on him then when they need it." And I thought this is exactly what you should do. I mean, he is a focal point of this offense, but your running game isn't going to carry any of these teams that we're watching. They're not going to carry you to to the playoffs or deep into the playoffs. It's going to be the passing game and the quarterback. But when your quarterback is struggling, or when your passing offense is missing key players, as this, as this team has. They should have turned to Mixon way earlier and, and gotten to him. Now, he he did get hurt a little bit, so maybe they were weary to jump back on him so quickly. And the offensive line, like you mentioned, makes it hard a lot of times because it's an inconsistent running game. Even if he averages four and a half yards per carry, I bet you it's it's eight yards and then zero yards on a lot of those uh, you know back-to-back runs because this offensive line is so volatile and one guy missing a, a block can kill it completely. And we saw that again even this week. But the last two weeks against the Chargers and the Raiders, and the running game being as dominant as, as it was, and the performances both are winning performances. I think on, on offense, where you could say, hey, uh, uh, you know, a 
something goes better here or there against the Chargers, and they could have won that game. But leaning on Joe Mixon and watching those two games made me think, man, it's really just the passing aspect of his game that needs to be more tuned in, and it's the pass blocking. And if you can do that, um, I think he becomes an MVP-type player in this league. I think he can be Todd Gurley or Le'Veon Bell or any one of those guys. And now, after the usage he's had the last two weeks, he's now the fifth most used running back in the league. So it's crazy that you look around, and, and that's the thing. I get a lot of comments, and you probably do too, James, of he needs to touch it 25 times a game or he needs to touch it 30 times a game I got the other day. And I'm like, well, that's that's really not realistic. The top guy in the league touches it 25 times a game in Zeke mm-hmm. Elliott, and that's like extreme usage. That means they don't have anybody behind them that they trust at all. And, and, and Joe Mixon's at 20 touches per game, 20.6, I believe it is, and he's the fifth most used back in, in the NFL. So um, it's it's so it's not about how many times they're giving him the ball at this point. I think it's the quality touches and, and the passing game usage really needs to, to move up. There, you know, he can average, he can be a guy that averages 9, 10 yards per catch at running back, and uh, like like a Todd Gurley does. And earlier in the year, he was averaging 9.5 yards. It's, it's really dropped down after like a two-catch, one-yard uh, day this weekend. And you just can't have those. Not in today's NFL. He, he needs to be a focal point. And that's what I'm looking for. Hopefully the final two weeks they showcase him that way, let him develop, giving more pass-blocking reps so he can get better at that so they can trust him more. But, um, yeah, I'm with you. I think he's a stud and, and should be the reason why you, you look at this team and saying the next two years, it could be really good if they build it the right way. Joe Goodberry of The Athletic is with us. Joe, you tweeted something out during the game that I, I thought was interesting, and it was in reference to, to Joe Mixon. You said uh, that a lot of evaluators before the draft compared him to Le'Veon Bell. And I remember talking to you before the draft, and you said that he had shown those flashes, that he could be – Le'Veon Bell but now in the NFL he he resembles Todd Gurley that his game has changed a little bit what what's different not that that's not great company to be in Gurley and really Le'Veon Bell it's great to be mentioned with either of those guys but but what's different from his Oklahoma days to now and is it is that a compliment is that how the Bengals are using him etc when you pop on the film First thing is the comparison between those those two guys, Le'Veon Bell versus Todd Gurley. Maybe the two best backs in the league, or at least the elite upper echelon guys when Bell's playing, right? So the difference between those guys are they're both great receiving threats. I think Le'Veon Bell's a better route runner, uh, but I think both guys have tremendous hands and run after the catcher up there with anybody. And then the difference for them, biggest difference, is how they get to the line of scrimmage. So you, as a running back, you have... Um, basically pre-line of scrimmage, post-line of scrimmage abilities. And for me, Le'Veon Bell is patient. His vision's really good. He anticipates. He moves linebackers out of the hole. And he can be that way because those Steelers' offensive line is tremendous. It's one of the best and maybe the best run-blocking line in the league. So he's afforded that extra time and 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 patience to to find the right hole and to make someone miss once he gets through it. Gurley is more of, and he's got a good offensive line and a good scheme around him, but he's more of a hit the hole, burst through it, and then make someone miss. Or hit the hole, burst through it, run someone over. And I, and looking at Joe Mixon in at Oklahoma, he showed a lot of what Le'Veon Bell did. And he ran a lot out of the shotgun a ton there. And he was able to be patient, pick his poison, and figure out what, which hole is best for him, and hit it, and hit it at full speed. We see the type of athlete he is for a guy his size. When he, he can get up to top speed pretty quickly, and his agility is impressive for a running back like that. He resembled Le'Veon Bell. They would put him in the slot. They'd put him out wide. He'd run routes. He'd catch with his hands. 
to me, I thought him and Christian McCaffrey were the two best receiving backs in that draft. And you see the way McCaffrey's used. You see the way uh, Kareem Hunt and, and Elvin Kamara from that draft are being used. And you say, well, you know, Mixon should be with those guys. He should be used exactly the same way and have that type of production in the receiving game. But he's not. He's used more like Gurley. Even though Gurley has a lot of receptions, a lot of yards and touchdowns as a receiver, his are more of play action or getting him out while the, while the rest of the um, – they'll send like drag routes all to the left and they'll, they'll leak out Todd Gurley to the right and hit him on a check down and let him run. And the way they're using um, Joe Mixon with the Bengals is hit the line, hit it hard, and then lift your eyes and head, head up and then look for a space to run or make that uh, make that safety mix miss. And I think that makes sense for this offensive line because it's, it's struggling and because it's really – you know, even when they're playing good, is not a great line. So – that's why I tweeted that, that it, it, a lot of it can be usage and a lot of it can be talent around you. I still think Mixon could be that patient runner and, and, and be that guy that, that can do the things Le'Veon Bell does. And I think he can still do that as a receiver, run routes the way Le'Veon Bell did. But the Bengals aren't using him that way, maybe because they can't afford it, but maybe because there's some part of they don't know how to use their guys. I think we've seen for a long time. So I think even if he continued down the same path, and I, I was comparing Gurley's stats his first two years to Le'Veon—I mean, to uh, to uh, Joe Mixon's stats the first two years—they're very similar. It'll be interesting these final two games play out. I really want to compare them then because Le'Veon Bell had a breakout year too. I mean, really, really crazy year. But Todd Gurley was under. Uh, Jeff Fisher with the Rams and he struggled or he didn't have the same type of high-end production especially in the passing game it was really lacking and he was averaging about eight yards per catch as, as a receiver now with the Rams averaging like ten and a half yards per catch and I and for me I look at the similarities between that situation and Joe Mixon's with Marvin Lewis and I think of well if they get the right guy in here that that can take full advantage of it we could see the same type of explosion look at you selling hope that Marvin isn't going to be back you know, Marvin Lewis is coaching for his job on Sunday, right? Like, if they win, that dude's coming back. I don't have anything to say about this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's no, coaching for his job. I, I, don't, the Steelers. I don't know that for sure, but, man, if they beat Cleveland, we'll get into that later. We'll get into that later. I, I want to continue to talk about Sunday. I don't want to bring down the mood. Everyone's feeling good about Joe Mixon, and rightfully so. This will bring down the mood a little bit, but Jeff Driscoll, 14 of 33, uh, was awful. Obviously, the yeah. worst performance he's had as a starter. Let, let's go in depth a little bit. When you watched him, what stood out? Was it confusion? You, you said it wasn't really what the Raiders were doing. But what stood out, and, and why was Driscoll so off? You know what? He's he's turning into Andy Dalton, but he's not that kind of guy. And oh, what God. I, what I mean is they want the ball to come out quick. They want it to yeah. come out concise. They want it to come out confidently. Even when Andy Dalton throws in the coverage, he throws it like he knows where the hell he's throwing the ball. You know what I mean? Like they want that ball out in two to two and a half seconds, and that's it. And, they, and this offense is going to keep rolling. Driscoll is in a phrase we use a lot of times in player evaluation. You see from like draft Twitter scouting guys, they will say um, a, this quarterback is really good outside of the structure of the offense, uh, or this guy is really good inside of it, a Jared Goff and Andy Dalton. But, but once the play breaks down and you have to make something happen afterwards, that's when Patrick Mahomes and Tony Romo and Big Ben look as good as they do. Um, Driscoll looked better when he's under pressure. He's looked better when things have broken down, when things need to be, inside of the system and he needs to be on time and make the correct read and make the correct throw and 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 live with it and die with it he's looked much worse and i think the longer it goes the more practice reps he gets the more time he has coaches in his ear um he's turning more into andy dalton without having that same 
DNA in him. And this that's kind of speculation, but it just feels that way when I watch him and from what he was when he came in cold off the bench and just rifling the ball down the middle of the field and taking chances and forcing the ball and holding on to it a little longer. We talked about the first few, few weeks there. He's holding on a little too long. He's a little too slow in his progressions. He's a little too slow in everything. But now he's he's getting sped up a little bit, and it's almost too fast. He, he needs to find that balance there. And uh, I think a lot of times when, when, I, when I was watching on tape this past week, he was dropping back and just throwing it to the guy he believed was supposed to be the right guy. And a lot of times, to me, it looked like it wasn't, just based on what we've seen Andy Dalton run this offense for a long time. You think of uh, the first play I can think of is the um, deep shot to John Ross, where John Ross goes up, makes a catch, but he's out of bounds. Um, And that was quarters coverage. And middle of the field should be open with safety split. You got off coverage, so it shouldn't have gone to John Ross in that situation. He's got safety help. He's got off coverage. He's got the advantage there against a vertical route. And he, what he has instead is C.J. Uzama running a post up the middle, splitting both the safeties, getting behind the linebackers. That should be the throw. And he's been really good throwing over the middle in the intermediate range. I'm surprised he didn't look there and, and give it to him. And then there was a few more plays that were exactly similar to that, where the safeties are split or you got a single high safety. And yet there was one, um, Alex Erickson's running a post over the middle. you got a single high safety, so, this, so the middle of the field should be closed. You should not be throwing this post to Erickson. And he throws anyways and there's four guys around him that converge very quickly and uh the pass goes incomplete but there's a lot of plays where you look at it and you go and we were watching on sunday you go man he's throwing right in the coverage or he's throwing high every time and it's lucky he was throwing high a lot because it could have been a three or four interception type performance um, but he missed a lot of them and and you look at it and you say well maybe that was just one game and and maybe he's still you know, working through what they're teaching him and what they're showing him and as he's getting experience. But it, it was a scary game to think of what his potential is. I think I said last week, I think he's going to play a long time in this league based on what he showed those first three games of, of or two and a half games of, of being able to get the ball out, make some plays, and trust his receivers. And then after that last performance, I thought, well, if he continues this way, um, he may not be the backup next year. Yeah, you're right. It, it's been crazy to, to see. And honestly, though, it comes down to coaching. You, you just said it. They're two different, two totally different style quarterbacks. And, and so to me, I think that matters a lot. And that'll be a, a theme of what we talk about next. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. I'm James Erpine, and this is the Locked on Bengals podcast. Tyler Boyd is out. What does it mean for the rest of the Bengals wide receivers? We'll dive into that next on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. 
Joe Tyler Boyd uh, reportedly out, and I expect him to miss the final two weeks. He he has a sprained MCL, and even though he might be able to play with a brace or something like that, there's literally no reason to play him. So on Monday's show, I pretty much said, hey, they shouldn't play him. Uh, you would agree with that, correct? Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yep, set him, j- just let him heal. Uh, that's fine. He, he got over his 1,000 yards, so it's perfect uh, in a sense. Obviously, no injury is perfect, but at least he it's nothing serious. He can go into the offseason uh, relatively healthy if he sits the next couple of weeks. That said, now A.J. Green's out. Obviously, the tight end room has been demolished by injuries and ravaged. Uh, the Cleveland Browns, they're, it's no secret what they're going to do against Joe Mixon. They're going to put eight in the box and make someone else beat him. Um, and to me... If I'm the Bengals coaching staff, and I would have I would have had this conversation on Monday, I would have went to number 15, John Ross, and I would have said, "Look, I I don't know, you know, you know what you think. And if, this is if I'm Marvin or wide receivers coach Bob now or offensive coordinator Bill Lazor. I'll take him, brought him into a room, and said, "Hey, look, this is your time now." We believe in you. We're going to give you 10 to 12 targets. We're going to get you the ball in space. We're going to use you the same way they used you at Washington. Uh, we're going to get you slants. We're going to get you screens. We're going to send you deep still, uh, but we're going to move you all around and really try to feature you these final two games. Let's get it going. We believe in you. Let's do it. And uh, and really try to do that. And the reason why, more than anything, is to give him some confidence. Obviously, the Bengals are eliminated, but give him some confidence going into next year. The Tyler Boyd blueprint work last year he had two big games to end the year and what happened well then this year he comes back and he's dominant and he's a really really good player and uh in slot wide receiver for this team so to me i would want the same blueprint i would want to try to follow at least the same blueprint for john ross and i think that can be done um and then the idea long term of having aj green healthy next year tyler boyd who knows he's the man and then john ross goes into the offseason feeling like he's the man now you have that three-headed monster is there uh, any chance based on what you've seen that the Bengals could do this and use this or use ross wisely and put him in a position for success this sunday against the browns and then next sunday in the season finale against the steelers yeah, I do think there's precedence for it, and um, not just because they should, because he was the nine number nine overall pick, and because they should believe in him and they should want him to succeed. Even though I don't know that that's all true, and or that they all feel that way, but in past years they've done this. And and remember, Tyler Boyd is the blueprint, and he was in the doghouse a lot last year. It, there was he was there was a lot of games he wasn't playing at all. I think he played 198 snaps last year before week 16 and 17, so the final two games. He played just average 200 snaps throughout that entire year. And then the final two games, he played 109 snaps. He saw 13 targets, caught 10 balls, 130 yards and a touchdown. Obviously, that last big play, that big touchdown against the Ravens to beat them was huge. And and that's that's not the only time they've done this, especially at receiver. They did it with Cody Core as a rookie in 2016. That was also the year that A.J. Green was out for the rest of the year. Tyler Boyd was a rookie. They had Brandon LaFell. Um, they, Cody Core in that final two weeks played 100 snaps, saw 19 targets in those two games. Now, he wasn't very efficient, but they fed him the ball. I mean, we would love to see that now. 19 targets. Give John Ross 19 targets over the next two weeks. I'm going to be excited. Give those to Auden Tate, Josh Malone. Even maybe Cody Core gets them again. But oh. 
Right. <laughs> that would be, to me, I could see in a situation where uh, Erickson's in the slot and they've been way better in the slot this year. I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but in comparison to throwing in the slot to throwing on the outside this year is like 71% completions to 63% completions. Uh, the touchdown rates up, the yards per catch rate is up. Everything in the slot for this offense has been much better. So for me, I, I, I look at it and say, well, it could be Erickson that, that ends up getting these targets and balls out and plays well. On the other hand, I think you move John Ross in the slot, and I think you use him, and I and I think you find ways to get him the ball. You look around the league, number one receivers are playing in the slot all the time. This is what you do. You get them in there to get that coverage away from them. You they, and Statistically, there's less, less coverage. There's less throwing into tight windows. There's less contested grabs in the slot. And that sounds good for John Ross right now. And you can create more things for him. You can move him around. You can do things for him. Um, and it's not just him because I, I want to see – Christian Westerman play. I wanted to see Malik Jefferson play. He just went on IR also for I don't even know what. I don't even think they they, they announced it unless you know, James. But he played on special teams, played one snap on defense, pass rushing in a 3-3-5 nickel, same as he did the week before. Um, man, I really thought this was the time. They did it with Nick Vigil at this time in 2016. They were 5-8-1 at this time. The final two weeks he played, they got to see what he could do. And he, he ended up starting the following year. So Jefferson's out of the picture. But you know, I would love to see a situation where they rotate Westerman with um, Alex Redman at right guard. You try and give uh, Westerman snaps maybe at left guard, even though Clint Bowling's there. Maybe you move Clint Bowling to right tackle. I Marvin's comments yesterday during the press conference or was more of, we don't want to mix things around because these offensive linemen need reps together. But at the same time, this is a losing season. This is when you need to find out, do we need to invest in a guard next year? Do we need to invest in a tackle next year? Because... You can't go in thinking Alex Redmond's going to be your guy and the way they're treating him like, oh, we can't take Redmond out for Westerman. It's crazy to me because he hasn't played well and he's had penalties and the penalties have been killer uh, in a lot of drives and a lot of games. So for me that, to think that one guy's untouchable while the other guy can't get on the field um, is, is scary for the final two weeks. Now, last year they did do it, though. They, they rotated Westerman and Redman at left guard, and they found out that they may have a starter in Redman, and, and that's fine. That's what I want to see. That's what you want to see these final two weeks, and hopefully they do this more at, at, at even if it's at linebacker, but I'd like to see Darius Phillips. I'd like to see Devontae Harris at corner get in. I, I'd like to see some punt returns by different guys, even though Alex Erickson's having a pretty good year. I'd like to see Phillips. He was drafted. A lot of his appeal was his return game. I'd like to see Giovanni Ben get a punt return. You know, it's a veteran guy who's going to have less than 100 touches this year for the first time in his career. He's not being used. You have to wonder if Mixon's going to be a 25-touch kind of guy. Um, where, where's the room for, for Bernard? Where can he still help this team? Is, is he still a valuable member of this team? You know, I still believe he's very good and can help a lot of teams in this league. Maybe that's that punt returner, and he did a lot of that in college. I think he had 16 yards per punt return his final year at North Carolina. So I'd like to see him get those opportunities. There's a lot of things and a lot of answers and to questions you could probably find in these final two games, the way they did last year and the way they did the year before, third year in a row of having a losing season. Yeah, so a couple things here. Catherine Terrell of ESPN just tweeted out that John Ross doesn't have his helmet today at practice. I don't know what that means. It could just mean, you know, nothing serious. He's just not practicing. Uh, Tyler Boyd not at practice either, and we don't expect him to play. Um, I I'm with you. Here's the problem. Here's the problem with this whole formula, and, and everything you said makes sense, right? You're eliminated. You're 6-8. and eight. Uh, If you win, great. If you don't, fine. But you have a head coach that, again, is probably looking at things like, all right, I'm coaching for my job. I don't want to roll the dice. 
I don't need a fumble on this punt return when I know Alex Erickson can do the job and it could be a reason why we win, you know? So like that, that to me is the biggest problem here is you have a coach who's probably going to fight and try to keep his gig for one more year. I could totally see that happening given uh, where this roster is from a health standpoint. And, and it's, it's almost like, all right, let's see the young guys. But at the same time, you're, they're trying to win and get to seven wins. Cause I, I really do. I think if, if you win one of these next two, that might be enough to bring Marvin back. Um, here's, and this is where Mike Brown comes in. Maybe Mike Brown has the conversation with Marvin. Hey, we need to see these young guys. So play them. My thoughts on your future aren't going to change in these final two weeks, even though they did last year. Nothing, yeah. nothing can be changed. Either I'm bringing you back or I'm not. Um, so just so you know. So th- I guess that's the only way uh, to, to kind of prevent that from happening because otherwise it's it's Marvin Lewis essentially coaching for his job. And I still feel like that's what he's doing. And if he can win one of these next two, they would have over the past month played against what might be the best team in the AFC on the road and lost by five and really held their own. The defense would have played better over the past two weeks if that continues over the final two weeks of the season and they finished two and two. I could totally see Mike saying, yeah, Marvin's our guy. We're bringing him back next year. So that's the one thing the one roadblock i think that could prevent that where they do play the young guys they do get creative and they do put all of these players in different positions that they've succeeded before whether in college or in other other places and see what they can do for the Bengals. and that's why i i made the the comment that a real gm or for a real franchise would say and and make that same comment you you made that of listen um whether it's a rebuilding year on a new coach and you'd say, you know, this isn't going to affect your, my evaluation of you. I know what you can do. Play these young guys. We need to find out if we need to spend a mid round pick at receiver. So we need to find out if Josh Malone or Auden Tate can play. Uh, we need to know if we need to draft an offensive lineman because we need to find out if, if any of these other five guys on the roster can be the best five on the team and start next year. So, uh, I think that's what would, would take place with the Bengals, not really having that and kind of having, it feels like a almost, even though Mike Brown is still the owner, still the guy, still listed as the GM, there is an opportunity for a, where it's almost like three different people struggling for the power there, Mike Brown and Duke Tobin and Marvin Lewis of, you know, um, not the uncertainty of is he going to be here, is he not? If he wants to be here, he will be here under what Josina Anderson's report was a few weeks ago. And how do I say you have to play this guy, Marvin. You know, I don't feel like all the time that that is is the case. I feel like if you're watching the Cowboys and talking about the Cowboys, Jerry Jones is going to say, hey, you need to play that player. And I don't know if Mike Brown does that as much. I feel like he leaves those decisions up to Marvin. And like you said, if Marvin's playing for his job or feels like he's playing for his job, he's going to play the safe guys or the guys he trusts. And I, I think the, the greatest like example is, is Redmond versus Westerman because Redmond is a guy that they love because he's there early. He's there in the off season training. He's lost. He lost a lot of weight. He got stronger. He put, he, he's the mentality they want, the character they want. He's the kind of guy where they say, look, undrafted guy, 
you bust your ass for us. You do what we say. You will get a starting job and you will play. And then the other guy is Westerman, as the reports are, you know, he doesn't really get it all the time or he's got a lot of mistakes in practice or on the board or, or when they're asking questions and they can't really trust what he does all the time uh, and, and doesn't really correct the mistakes that they ask him to do. And and instead, one guy looks really good on tape. The other guy looks okay for most of the time, but he the penalties and Alex Redmond, I'm talking. Um, so for them, they see one guy as a wild card and it's hard to reward the guy that doesn't make the corrections you ask him to and give him playing time over the guy who does everything you say, has the right attitude, has the right mindset. And it's almost like they're okay playing the worst player to send the right message. When I think in a situation like this is you got to play the guy that you feel may be the, the, the guy on your roster in two years, the guy that you're going to make a decision in two years of who's makes us better. And, and in my opinion, that is, worth exploring on which one of these, and I'm not just talking about offensive linemen here, which one of these young guys are better than the next. It's totally worth exploring. And that's what they should do. I just, again, I doubt they do it. And you know, what's crazy. I think the Tyler Boyd injury is really significant because I was feeling, and I still do. And I told uh, Jeff Lloyd, this of locked on Browns yesterday. I felt good about the Bengals going into this game. Like I, I think with Boyd, they would have had more than a puncher's chance of winning, which is, is not something anyone here in Cleveland would say, but just knowing Marvin, I think that the Bengals are going to show up. I do. Um, I think he will keep the guys engaged. They're going to show up. They're going to play hard. And you mix Boyd in with Ross and Mixon and the way the offense has played with those two guys kind of being the focal point uh, in, in Mixon and Boyd and then the defense the way it's playing. I might have, and I can't do it now, but I might have picked the Bengals to win this game on Sunday. Without Boyd, I can't do that. But I, I was close to doing it, and uh, last I saw, they were like seven or eight, may, maybe even nine. It got the nine, I, I heard, uh, point underdogs to the Browns, which is just, it's crazy to me that it's that that one-sided. Um, but yeah, I, I was close to picking the Bengals. I can't now with Boyd down, but, but what do you think about that, the idea that the Bengals will not only compete compared to the way they were down, I believe it was 28 nothing when the, the first time these two matched up, right. not only compete, but if they had Boyd, be able to uh, potentially win on Sunday. Yeah, I feel very similarly, and it's it's mostly because I feel much worse with Boyd out there because of what they showed last week in that second half and the the no semblance of a passing game. They tried a few times to really, all right, let's get one more touchdown, let's 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 move it and let's end this game while we can by throwing the ball downfield, and it was horrific last last week. And um, you know they had to lead the mix in, and it worked. Now I think the Browns' defense is better than the Raiders. I think the Browns. What they showed last time this, these two teams matched up is scary because this this is a team that's ascending, playing confidently, has a spark and a, a lit under them, maybe from the new coach, maybe from the quarterback, maybe because of both and because those two things do that. And um, they're just playing much better than the Bengals have. And, and with Boyd, with the, the, the progress the Bengals, I think, have, have kind of showed against the Chargers and the Raiders, even though the Raiders are a bad team, the we're talking about the, the Browns. You can still beat them. The way the Browns talked shit last time, the way they, they celebrated, the way they they, they said they're going to beat them before the game, I think stung the Bengals a little bit. And the way they the way the Bengals played, I think they were upset about it. And I, I definitely, they probably looked at this game of, we're going to go out there and we're going to end the season for the Browns if, the, if it wasn't ended by the time they got there. So I think they were going to play hard. And I think they, they may still, but I just think the passing game, um, if it's anything like it was last week after losing Boyd, is the worst passing offense in the league. So that's not going to give you much, and you can't win in this league without it. 
He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, before I let you go, in the defense, it really seems to, God, I don't want to say turn a corner uh, because they're obviously very flawed. They need linebacker help especially. But I do think they've been better in recent weeks, especially when you look, and part of it's because they were playing the Raiders, but I think part of it, that second half against the Chargers, they were really good. Um, what did and what is Marvin Lewis doing different, if anything, and why is this defense seem to have turned a corner at least over the past week and a half? It's not that they're doing a lot differently. They are going more to the um, middle line, middle linebackers in the A-gaps, which is, if you remember from under uh, Mike Zimmer's days, and that helps the pass rush, and they, they did that a bunch last week. And, I mean, Geno Atkins got a couple one-on-ones, and he took advantage of them because Nick Vigil lined up in the A-gap. And it, all it does is make the center account for him, and then, uh, you know, it gives Atkins that, that split second to go one-on-one with, with the left guard that was a backup player, and he took advantage. So uh, little things like that matter and help your stars. But we've said every single week, too, that if the offense was scoring points, this defense would look better. And they have. And, and it, you know, whenever a game is neutral or uh, you're, you're leading for the offense, in, in which they haven't been over the last eight, nine weeks, the pass rush is going to look uh, much better. And I think Atkins, Dunlap, and, and Hubbard have combined now for 24 sacks. 17 of them are when the game is tied or when the Bengals are leading. And so it really for this last two months where they've been getting beaten, we have, we've been wondering where are those guys? And it's because it's hard to tee off when you're, when, when you're down already and down big, like they were in a lot of games. So I, that helps, obviously that helps, but at the same time, um, I think part of it is figuring out where guys go. Sam Hubbard was playing defensive tackle a lot of the year after they after they lost Carl Lawson, after they, they started to lose some defensive tackles. And then Hubbard looked much worse at defensive tackle the last two weeks. It might be the last three weeks. He's only played two snaps now at D-tackle, and he's playing all the snaps on the edge. And he has uh, seven pressures and three sacks in these last three weeks. And so they're starting to figure out, okay, this is what you do better. Even though we thought you might be an interior rusher, I did too. I thought before the draft and after, I thought that's where he may end up, and he may still as he gets older. Um, But right now he's better on the edge, so they're getting a little spark there, and that helps. Uh, I think the corners are playing fantastic. I think William Jackson is is right back to where we were, where we thought he was. Uh, he's given up like ten yards per catch or ten yards total in uh, over the course of the last seven weeks. Uh, Drake Kirkpatrick has been really good. Dark Westenard has been all right, and you know Sean Williams had a fantastic game last week. So the defense really is looking at it. You really look and you step back and you look at next year and you say it's linebacker completely. They need a middle linebacker and even. This past week, where I think Vigil has gotten better as he's gotten back from injury, and it's really a two-linebacker defense and a two-linebacker league, that other guy has been such a hole, whether that's Jordan Evans, whether that's Vincent Ray, whether that's um, Hardy Nickerson, who's gotten the bulk of the snaps, but everyone else has gotten in there. They What they've done is they've actually put Brandon Wilson in there at, at linebacker. And if you look, the Bengals are playing a dime defense for the first time in a long time. I, I haven't remembered the Bengals playing a dime defense since Chris Crocker was doubling as a linebacker slash safety <laughs> <laughs> and Duque doing the same thing. And now they've got Brandon Wilson actually out there. And 
to me, that's interesting because it was Clayton Fedulum at the beginning of the year. Now it's Wilson. So they feel he's a better cover guy than, than Fedulum is in a man-covered situation. So they're out there with one linebacker really taking Nickerson off the field. And I think that makes sense. So small little tweaks like this that probably should have happened all year. And you know what? They did make tweaks all year. It just didn't work. And they ran into a buzzsaw that was the high-powered Saints and the, and, the, and the Chiefs. And, you know, they came out of that on the other side and they fired their coordinator. So, um you know, they've gotten better. And I still think they're a linebacker away from having a really, really good defense. Yeah, which, you know, they could have uh, helped their cause to get a really, really good linebacker if they had lost last week. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Joe, what do you got coming up and what do you have up right now at The Athletic? It should be posted either today or tomorrow. I don't control that, but I'm going to look at Geno Atkins and Sam Hubbard and, and their plays. They had a lot of them against the run. Pro Football yeah. Focus gave them 90-plus grades uh, for both of them, which is elite category. Um, both of them have tremendous, tremendous days. Really exciting for Hubbard because if the Bengals get Carl Lawson back next year at full strength, I mean, we're talking about a really good defensive line at that point that's young. And I, I still want to see Jordan Willis in year three and see if he takes that next step. And then if you get Ryan Glasgow back, Man, that is a young, very, very good nucleus on the defensive line. And what we've seen, we're still in the prime years of Geno Atkins and, and Carlos Dunlap. So even if that's only another year or two or whatever for those guys, uh, that is still probably the strength of this team at this point going into next year. So I was really happy with Hubbard. I was really happy to get Atkins. First three-sack game, he gets his Pro Bowl, seventh Pro Bowl. That puts him in Hall of Fame discussion at the very least, even if his his career ended at, you know, short, it would be he'd be in that category already. So um, there's a lot to talk about with those two and their performance obviously started that off. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I hope and you're right. You know, I get seventh Pro Bowl. I hope he can get to 10. Me too. How great would that be? I think Anthony Munoz, did he have 11? 11, yes. 11. So if he could threaten that that Bengals record, that would be really good. Lawrence cool. Sapp had seven. John Randall had seven. Cortez See? Kennedy had eight. So it's defensive tackle. Seven is – he's there. I mean, he gets eight or nine. Um, he's going to the Hall of Fame. Which would be great to see. Obviously, the Bengals only have one Hall of Famer. And Anthony Munoz. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Good stuff from Joe, as always. That's going to do it for today's podcast. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcast. Give us a follow on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, at James Erpine, and at Locked On Bengals. Until next time, I'm James Erpine. Back at it tomorrow with a prediction for Sunday, injury updates, and more right here on the Locked On Bengals podcast. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.